we're rooted in South Seattle. We've always been a very place-based organization. So everything we do, all of our housing, our economic development work, and our arts programs are all Southeast Seattle specific. And really it's just because it's the best neighborhood in town. Welcome to the Mayor Stage podcast, where we explore the Pacific Northwest through the stories and experiences of the people and its communities. Hello, everyone, and welcome in. My name is Kiki Dominguez, and my pronouns are they, them. My name is Ty, and my pronouns are he, him. So today, listeners, as always, we have a special treat for you. Uh, This is the fourth in a series of episodes featuring South Seattle stories. This is our storytelling and interview archival project that explores origin stories of unique individuals who use their skills to contribute to the community of South Seattle. Here we'll be interviewing members of Seed Arts, an organization that focuses on harnessing the arts in the Southeast Seattle neighborhood. Yes, and here you're going to hear them chat a little bit about their origin stories and learn a little bit more about what Seed Arts does and what both of them do at Seed Arts. And so we'll have you start by introducing yourselves with your name, your pronouns, and what you do within the Seed Arts organization. My name is Kathy Fells. I'm the director of Seed Arts, which means that I oversee all five of the Seed Arts programs and get to work pretty hands-on with each of them, some more than others. Hey, my name is Ben Leotoa. I'm the manager of the Rainier Arts Center. Uh, my pronouns are Ian him. What does storytelling mean to you? Well, to me, storytelling is a means for sharing experiences, interpreting experiences. My mom was a storyteller and a puppeteer. She worked in an elementary school library and would spend like, you know, when they have the story time in the libraries and the librarian reads the books for the kids. My mom would spend a whole weekend like building little props and little puppets. And so she took storytelling very seriously. So it was a big part of my childhood. And then in college, I was an anthropology major and studied a lot of oral traditions. And it was kind of a revelation to me that stories weren't just this entertainment, but there were so many um, traditions behind them. You know, they were used to explain natural phenomenon and teach children important lessons. So I think it's all of that. It's opportunities for people to share their own perspective and us to learn from it and get more connected. Thank you for sharing that, Kathy. Uh, Ben, what does storytelling mean to you? Storytelling to me, uh, it's um, the conveyance of knowledge or wisdom or your experience to your family member, to another generation, just to educate someone about something that they're probably not privy to. I'm a filmmaker up here in Seattle, and um, film is an industry The filmmaking industry is predominantly an industry that is run by a lot of Caucasian people. I run a program that introduces children to storytelling uh, through film. So storytelling to me is something that's sacred in my culture. I'm Samoan. Um, It's something that is not only uh, the conveyance of of knowledge and and stories, but it's, it's very much a part of the way that we live, you know, storytelling through you know, just legends and um, oral traditions. Uh, So yeah, storytelling is really important to me and that's what it means to me. Thank you, Ben. I already have a follow-up for you. Is your, can you tell me a little bit more about this storytelling through film program that you're working on? Is it through Seed Arts or is it just like a passion project and another thing that you are working on? Oh, it, it is a passion project, but the way it ties in with Seed is that Seed is our fiscal sponsor. The name of the organization is called Real Youth Film Camp. And uh, we focus our energies on youth, BIPOC youth that are living in the Central District and in the Rainier Valley. We feel like those are communities that have been overlooked as far as filmmaking camps or creative camps are concerned, just due to them not being accessible because of the area they live in, because of their financial sort of situation. Uh, so that's something that Seed has been really helpful with and has really uh, worked alongside us with our fiscal sponsorship. And um, yeah, that's that's what Real Youth Film is all about. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited to like get deeper into some of these um, different things that you all are doing through Seed. So I do have a question about 
stories and their impact on you. So what story has had the biggest impact on you? So the first story that comes to mind, and I don't know why, because it's not a super powerful story, um, was about the Tokolosh. And so uh, we were staying in Southern Malawi on the Lake Malawi is the largest freshwater lake in that region. We were staying on the shores of the lake and everybody kept telling us about the Tokolosh. You cannot go to that island over there after dark because there's Tokolosh. I didn't really know what a Tokolosh was, but apparently it was scary, right? And so everybody, everybody was warning me, don't go to that island, don't go to that island, don't go to that island. And later I learned that there was a lot of wild animals there. So they used this Tokolosh story to keep kids and tourists, apparently, from going to that island. Um, That was the first one that came to mind. I love that, though, because lately I've been thinking about you know, everything that we tell children to make them feel more comfortable and to hide like the truth about stuff, you know, just about like Santa Claus and the Easter bunny, you know, we make up so many things to tell children just to try to keep them safe and protect their view of the world, you know? And I think that's another side of storytelling. That's part of everyday life. You know, we kind of use it to shape the world that we want to see ourselves and that we want um, the people we love to see. Uh, I love that that story, that situation had such a big impact on you for sure. Well, because I remember so clearly thinking, well, why don't they just say it's dangerous? If there's a, a lion or a tiger on that mountain, tell us so we won't go. But somehow, honestly, this tokalash and this, the, you know, the spells they would put on you and the challenges you would have afterwards almost made me more afraid of going to that mountain. Uh, ben, what story had the biggest impact on you? Uh, the story that has the biggest impact on me are stories that I haven't heard yet. Are stories that I have yet to hear from my kids in my camp. A story that I, that I hear from relatives. Um, so stories have an impact um, whether you've heard them or not, whether you know them or not. So for me, and I'm sorry to turn turn this around a bit, but stories that haven't been told yet and heard have the biggest impact or have the potential, or I just treat everybody's information and knowledge as sacred to me. So yeah, it sounds kind of corny. Tycarius, just edit that stuff out. Just use the beginning of it. No, I think it, I think that sounds great, you know, because I mean, a big part of us doing this podcast is to get stories that, uh, I mean, I'm new to the area. So every story is a new story to me, but we want to bring other people's stories um, to bigger platforms. You know, everybody deserves to have their story told, especially if you're doing something to help the community. So it's definitely not corny and I won't <laughs> edit too much out of that. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I wanted to say that's great. And it, it makes sense too of what you're talking about with like creating stories with youth and like helping them to share their stories. So I can see how the untold story, quite not quite told story, is having a big impact on you. If you're enjoying this podcast and would like to support it and other Mirror Stage programming, you can make a tax-deductible donation via our website, mirrorstage.org, or text Play It Smart to 206-888-6477. That's 206-888-MIRR. So... What would you consider to be your origin story? Uh, I was growing up, I grew up in uh, Daly City, California, which is uh, right, like a like a smaller town uh, in southern, in South San Francisco. Um, grew up on a uh, sort of a military, um, it's housing, but they were for military families when they were coming off of the war. Uh, so it wasn't the most, uh, it was a loving neighborhood, but it was a very poor neighborhood. Uh, our schools were walking distance. They were, um, I found out later on as I sort of got out of high school that they were they were sorely underfunded. Um, and every year I would aspire to, you know, um, get on the student of the month, like, you know, every, like 
I had like my parents would get on me about like you weren't student of the month yet. It's half it's it's April. You got six more months and you're not student of the month. Um, so long story short, student of the month, one of the one of the perks you get is you get to tour other schools within the area and meet with other student of the month um, um, awardees, if you will. So um, it was my first experience going to another school as like a fourth or fifth grader or something like that. And this school looked like I don't know. It looked like Hogwarts to me. It, it was uh, a predominantly Caucasian school. Um, they had the same sort of things that they were offering for like after school programs, but we had we didn't have a real radio station. We had a radio station in, in one of our classrooms, but it was it just broadcast in the PA system in our school. So I toured the radio station at uh, this 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 school that we were uh, that we were at for. Uh, the the program and they were streaming to a lo-fi uh local area sort of radio station they had disc jockeys from all the radio station come and visit and you know uh dj for them i went back to my school and i said man i was like they're in the same grade i'm in and they have they have four computer labs where we only have one um, they have real, they have brand new instruments and they have these wonderful sort of uh, accoutrements to their, to their school to, to support their learning and stuff. So for me at a very young age, I, it kind of really brought home the fact that, man, if you, if you had more of something or the right tools or, or just things to help you along, I just saw the inequality there. It just made me grow up as a young adult and as an adult now, and now I'm an older, older adult. <laughs> But I want to give back to the neighborhood. I want to give those same opportunities to um, kids that look like me, kids that grew up in the same neighborhood that I lived in. Yeah, and that's my origin story. Thank you. Thank you. I did want to jump in and say, yeah, it's it's very clear how passionate you both are about this work. And so I'm looking forward to going deeper into these conversations, because I think that's why a lot of us look at, at art and do art for different reasons, is I think a lot about... Um, what we saw when we were younger that influences the kind of work that we're doing today and who are the people that we wanted to see and who are the people that we didn't get a chance to see and um, using that as a motivation to like continue in the work. So I just want to say thank you. Yes, I'm I'm a digital artist and I spend like a lot of my day-to-day drawing um, and a lot of it's like cartoon characters that are inspired by anime and Every time I draw, I try to incorporate a Black character into it because I remember growing up, I would love to watch anime, but there was never any Black characters on any of the shows I watched. And there were like a few, like Hey Arnold had a few, and like there are several shows that had like one or two Black characters. But in my head, I was just always had this idea that one day I'd, I'd turn on an anime and it'd be a full cast of African-American actors and voice actors. And, you know, today we might have a few. There are a couple that are like that. But when I was growing up in the 90s, that was never a thing, you know. And it's definitely um, easy to see inequality, um, especially when you look for it. But it's so present in everyday life that, you know, it's hard to escape from it. Um, And I love that, you know, this us, but you particularly too, Ben, that you want, uh, that you were so inspired um, by the inequality to grow up and uh, give that same opportunity that you had to kids. That's really inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. So Kathy, uh, what is your origin story? My origin story, at least the the point that got me to this point in my career, this trajectory uh, it's kind of more of a windy path than a real uh, direct line. Um, but in the early 90s, I was studying economic development as an undergraduate student. And as part of that program, we had to work overseas for a year. So I got a job in, in Zimbabwe working for this group called Development Innovations and Networks. They were an NGO in Africa. NGOs are like what our nonprofits are, basically. Um and so they were, uh, their whole point was to create networks of people and grassroots organizations so that they could all help each other, 
rather than the NGO saying, this is what you need to do. They really wanted to get the people together so they had the opportunity to um, you know, get technical support, have more accesses to resources, links to markets. Uh, we promoted a lot of partnerships for development projects. Um, and my job in that organization uh, was the best job in the world. They literally paid me to travel around to different NGOs throughout Southern Africa and help them kind of develop systems for marketing and communications. And it just coincidentally, almost all of the groups that I worked with were artist cooperatives and arts groups. So in, in that part of the world, especially for women where there are not job opportunities, but they need some income to be able to have food and send their kids to school, a lot of the women will form these groups and, you know, make baskets or make batiks or all these different traditional African crafts. Uh, but they didn't really know how to sell them or how to get them to market. So that was my job. They traveled. I traveled all throughout Southern Africa, working with different artist groups. And I just loved it. It was the most satisfying, interesting, fun job. Um, I always say I learned so much more from them than I think they learned from me, which was the point of my being there. Um, hopefully it was a mutually beneficial situation. Um, I was supposed to be there for a one-year contract. I ended up staying four years because I just really felt like it was the right place for me to be at that time. And when it was finally ready for me to come, time for me to come home, I was making my rounds to some of the groups I worked closely with to say goodbye. And they were all like, well, wait, can't you take some of our stuff to sell over there? I mean, you have the market. And I was like, well, I guess I don't really have a job to go back to. Sure, I'll, I'll try that. So I ended up opening a gallery in Capitol Hill called Moyo Arts, and I imported uh, arts and crafts from Southern Africa and also um, ended up having a lot of contemporary art exhibits because a lot of people think African art is just like tribal masks and drums, but there's a thriving contemporary art scene there as well. So I really wanted to kind of expose people in Seattle to that. So I ran that gallery for seven years, which meant every year I'd go back for a month or two and shop for art, um, which was a great, a great learning experience and a great um, opportunity, I think, for me. But owning that business really made me realize how little I knew about business. So when I closed my gallery after seven years, um, the Nisqually work earthquake wiped out 90% of my inventory and I just was done. So I went back to business school, or I went to business school and got my MBA so that I understood business better, um, and that I had a baby. And then I saw this job in the newspaper for Seed Arts was hiring a half-time manager for an artist cooperative. And I was like, well, God, I, I know artist cooperatives really well. I worked with them in Zimbabwe for years. And I had a gallery, so I know how to run a gallery. It's, it's perfect. So I took the job. I applied for it. I got it. I took it. And that was 16 years ago. The Columbia City Gallery is a program of seed arts. So I worked there for about seven years. Then when my boss retired, I took her position. Excellent. Thank you. It's always so fascinating to hear that question because we ask everyone what what their origin story is to kind of hear and to see the different ways that people wind up at where they are and how they're making a difference in the community. So this does lead me to my next question, though, of what your role is within SEED for both of you and what your day to day looks like. Yeah. Can you tell me more about that? I'd love to give you just a little bit of background of Seed Arts because a lot of people don't really know what we do. Sharing our story has something that we really need to improve on. We haven't done a good job. Um, but Seed Arts is actually one department of a larger community development corporation called Southeast Effective Development. A lot of people know it as Seed. It was founded in 1971 with the very specific goal of improving the quality of life in Southeast Seattle. So we've always been super place-based and they were, I think, really revolutionary in recognizing the importance of the arts in community and economic development. And so they have three program areas, affordable housing, economic development, and arts. So I run our five arts programs. 
which are the Rainier Arts Center. That's our community performing arts center that Ben runs. Uh, we purchased that in 1995, opened in 97. And then just two years ago, we had been planning for a major renovation because it was all the systems were 20 years old. And at that time, we kind of did it on the cheap just to get it up and going. So Ben worked his uh, tiny off. Um, we had raised all the money right before the pandemic. And then when we got shut down, we were like, okay, let's make some lemonade and do the entire renovation in a year rather than the three years that we planned. So we completely renovated it, put a new sound system, new stage curtains, everything. Um, so that program is now doing really well. Our visual arts program is the Columbia City Gallery and the Galleries Artist Cooperative. And there's sort of three three sort of galleries within the gallery. There's the artist cooperatives and the members, and they show their exhibits every six weeks. They change. We have a community gallery where we show exhibits from other nonprofits or youth groups or a group of artists can come to us and propose an exhibit. We have an ongoing open uh, proposals page where people can propose exhibits. And then we also have a gift shop that features the work of about 60 Southeast Seattle artists and makers and designers and creatives. Um, our next program is the Seed Art Studios. So we have 22 artist studios in Hillman City that are affordable creative workspace for artists and creative enterprises. Um, and then in 2017, we launched, launched KVRU 105.7 FM. So that is a low power, hyper local community radio station. Um, still kind of getting our legs and getting off the ground, but it's a really neat opportunity for our community to share our stories from our perspective. Um, sure, you guys know the news, the, the way the news portrays C Southeast Seattle is not the way that the majority of us experience our really awesome, vibrant neighborhood. And then our fifth program is our public and community arts program. And through that, we facilitate public art projects. We do public art projects with Seeds Affordable Housing uh, buildings, but also other buildings in the community because art makes communities better. We do a lot of youth programs. We teach uh, free art classes at a couple of our housing facilities that Seed runs and operates. Um, and then most recently, what I've spent a lot of time on in that program is we helped to uh, go through the process for the to become designated the Columbia Hillman Arts and Cultural District. I don't know if you guys have heard about that. Um, and then more recently, our neighborhood got us. I do want to say, could you could you expand on that a little bit? Because <laughs> I, I am I not familiar with it. I absolutely can. So the city of Seattle a couple of years ago started this new program to kind of put more hands, more more money in the hands of communities for arts based development work, um, and communities could self-organize and apply. And it was quite a process. It actually took us two years. You had to hold an event. Uh, we did a maker space, an arts maker space. We were trying to have a, er, not a, sorry, scratch that. We did a hackathon. We were trying to do a hackathon and we wanted to create a digital walking tour of the art spaces in Columbia and Hillman cities in one day in this hackathon, which was really fun, really successful. Um, after that, we were granted designation as an arts and cultural district. So I do a lot of work with that. I co-chair that with Ben Hunter, who you may know, fabulous musician down here in Southeast Seattle. And then more recently, a larger group of people um, started collaborating and networking and working together to get a state designation. So Washington State has a program called uh, Creative Districts. There are now seven in the state. Um, being a creative district sort of sheds more light on your community and the arts experiences in that community. It also opens a lot of doors for funding on a bigger level than any of us individually can really access. Um, so it's very exciting. We are actually the only neighborhood in the entire state that has both city and state designation. So I work for uh, the Rainier Arts Center. It's a program of Seed Arts. I manage the facility. Um, I 
handle the bookings for the space. Uh, there's sort of event management for uh, performers or artists that come in. I handle that as well. It's somewhat of a one-man show, but but I, I got it down to a science now. Um, so that's that's my role in Seed Arts. So Ben, how long have you been with Seed Arts, and what led you to um, getting involved with them specifically? So I started back in 2017, and when I came on board, I was a contracted technician. Um, so I would be up in the AV booth for any sort of event that would be occurring, whether musical or, or you know, some sort of meeting in the theater. Uh, and then after a couple of years, uh, Francisca moved on, and I took over as the general manager for the Rainier Arts Center. So that's how I became a part of the part of the team. Nice. Thank you both for sharing that. It uh, sounds like y'all do like a lot of great stuff for the community. Your five programs are so specific. and I love it. They target um, specific areas of need. So you don't try to wear too many hats with one big program. You can break it down and get the hands uh, where the help needs to be done. I love that. Yeah, it it is nice that we've got the visual arts, performing arts, media arts facilities, and the artist workspace, which we really developed because it was the number one request we got from artists. Like there's no studio space. We can't afford to practice. Um, and then the community and public arts kind of covers everything. So one of the programs that uh, we run here at the Rainier Arts Center um, is called the Anchor Partner Program. And the Anchor Partner Program here at the center uh, gives um, space or uh, event space or rehearsal space or meeting space to um, other cultural and arts group that are in need of space. Um, currently at this point, we have three anchor partners that are with us here at the center. Uh, we have Wasat, who is a Muslim arts cultural uh, community group. Um, we also have Adefua Cultural Arts Center. They're an African group, African dance and drumming troupe. Uh, they teach about African culture, African arts. And the third one that we have is the Kamai, Kamai Seattle of King County, Kamai community of Seattle, King County. So we have a Kamai group uh, that comes in and they also share their, uh, share their culture, their community, they hold their meetings, um, their rehearsals. Right now, the Kamai group is preparing for a large fest, a two-day festival here in the Columbia City Park, right in front of the Rainier Arts Center. Um, and all three of these um, organizations were displaced. Um, they no longer had a space to conduct their meetings and, and gather and um, and worship and 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 do all the things that they that they normally did in their other spaces. So. That's a program at the Rainier Arts Center that I, I'm personally proud of. Um, it's giving all these smaller organizations a space to do what they need to do to share with the community. Um, and yeah, that's a, that's our anchor partner program here at the center. Nice. Were they, when you say those, uh, those groups were displaced, were they displaced during the pandemic or something prior? I think one of them was prior to the pandemic, um, and then one was directly related uh, to COVID and the pandemic. Um, Adefua was an organization that was run out of their home in Columbia City, and they just grew and grew to the point that they needed something that was a bit more stable, somewhere that they're not destroying <laughs> Afua's house or, you know, but for the most part, a lot of the organizations that are reaching out now, because it's such a it's such a it's a program that's out there in the community at this point. And there's lots of organizations. And I feel bad because we're at capacity at this point for the center. Um, so we can't take on um, any more. But I'm still working with them to do some some sort of short term rentals to help them out. to So they have some sort of gathering space for their various events and um and things that they do. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. So uh, you kind of mentioned that you're at capacity. So we kind of have a question about um, the future of Seed Arts. Like, what are you guys working on now that's, uh, that'll be new? And uh, we also want to know why you specifically chose the South Seattle community as well. Why Southeast Seattle? Uh, pretty clear and easy because Seed 
stands for Southeast Effective Development. There, we're rooted in South Seattle. We've always been a very place-based organization. So everything we do, all of our housing, our economic development work, and our arts programs are all Southeast Seattle specific. And really, it's just because it's the best neighborhood in town. Very much alongside with what Kathy's saying, but Southeast Seattle is where a majority of my people live and where my black and brown people are. So that's why I'm glad to be working here with Seed. Nice. Thank you. And uh, what does the future of Seed Arts look like? What are you guys working on right now for the future? Think big and think we can create a lot of these spaces. And it's not just Seed Arts. We would be doing it in partnership with a lot of other organizations. It's almost bigger than one group can do, but I think together as a network uh, through the Arts and Cultural District and the Creative District, I think we, there's, we have a pretty unique opportunity to really make some big moves in the next couple of years to, to make that vision a reality. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Now, that sounds, that sounds like you uh, do have a really big goal, you know, a group of a hub for artists, you know, that sounds like utopia for me as an artist, you know. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. You know, my fear is my gallery was on Capitol Hill. Um, Michael Syrath, who is our executive director, he used to run the Northwest Film Forum on Capitol Hill. And the woman who now manages the Columbia City Gallery also had a gallery on Capitol Hill. All of us were displaced when Capitol Hill got too expensive. So what I see happening now with all this displacement in the South End, there's no further South you can push people, right? People are going to be forced to leave the city limits. And once you lose that creative base in your city, it, it, it doesn't come back. That's, that's my fear. I don't, I don't mind people moving to Renton and to Quilla and South, but we need to create space in Seattle before it's too late to really... Um, allow people and allow the culture and the diversity of people that make this neighborhood so cool to stay here and work here. Yes, completely agree. And I'm, I'm curious too, from both of you, if there are any stories you have or any experiences that you can share about your organization having a positive impact on the South Seattle community, whether that be something from when you first started or just more recently? I just know that there's been a long, a long time that you both have been working in these roles. So I'm curious. Probably sound like a broken record, but the Anchor Partner Program, man, I sound like a salesman, the Anchor Board, like it's a product or something, right? But um, the Anchor Partner Program is, uh, has helped a lot of two, at least two out of our three South End um, organizations uh, stay involved, stay engaged with their community, with their, um, with uh, their arts, their cultural sort of work. Um, I think that's something recently that has made, played a major impact in, in Southeast Seattle communities, in the arts and in the cultural districts. So that's something that, uh, that is a very positive impact for those organizations. Um, for me, I really, uh, I look at our impact in two ways because my focus is always on the artist. How can we support the artist? How can we create opportunities for the artist? And each of our programs does that in different ways. So the gallery in December, um, that first week in January where our ED had to sign the checks for all the gallery sales in December, he was like, man, you made me sign 75 checks today. And you know how cool that is? So like 75 artists sold work in the gallery in December, were able to generate some income for themselves. I love that. I, that that to me is impact. The anchor partners are impact that these three groups who might've been displaced or had to move further south are able to stay in Southeast Seattle um, with Ben as their champion, you know, using this space with a lot more flexibility than a regular renter would. Um, at KVRU, there we've had lots of really successful workshops with kid youth youth podcasting and letting them share their stories. We developed a equipment lending library 
so that people can come check out a recording, a professional, you know, mic and a recorder and a laptop to do their own editing. So facilitating that kind of media arts and self-expression has been really exciting for the artists. Um, I think our work with the Arts and Cultural District, a lot of artists have benefited through that. And during the pandemic, we did a, uh, what do we call it? South End Yard Art Project, where we paid artists for their designs. We weren't asking them to create new artwork, but send us work you've done. We pay for a limited reproduction right to that sign. And we printed them on yard signs and put them all throughout the neighborhood. And it just felt like it was so dark and dreary for those two years, especially that first year when the businesses were closed. So to be able to put art in the community in just random places where people could be on a walk and be like, oh, oh, it's neat. I still see them when I walk around. I still get excited by them. So I think it's it's both the impact on the artists and creating those opportunities for them to make money, but also the impact on the community because they get to see and experience that art. They get the opportunity. We do a summer series every year in the park with free outdoor movies and Shakespeare in the park. And this last year we added porch concerts, you know, for people for whom going downtown and buying a ticket and dealing with parking and da, da, da is a barrier to getting quality entertainment. They could just come in Columbia Park and sit down for free and watch chamber music concerts, movies. So I think there's a benefit to bringing some of those arts events to Southeast Seattle. Um, the Rainy Arts Center for a long time has hosted kind of as a, a satellite location for some larger or arts organizations. So the opera used to bring these little opera preview shows to the Rainy Arts Center and they were free and anybody in Southeast Seattle could go check out the opera for free. Uh, SIF brought their film camps down a couple years. So it's just nice to be able to create space for those arts opportunities right here within the neighborhood. Yes, I agree. It's good to be able to uh, do it on both sides, you know, provide something for the community to enjoy that's accessible, that you don't have to pay a lot for, mm -hmm. and you can, you know, travel to fairly easily, but also giving the artists the opportunity to showcase their work and be paid for it as well. That's a big thing. A lot of artists are just, you know, creating all this beautiful work and not being able to survive, you know. So I love that so uh, you can serve so as true. a conduit between the two and connect the community with these uh, artists in need. I think it's also neat that we have the ability to let the artists kind of control how their work is presented. So if you're a member at the Columbia City Gallery for your feature show, you cooperate with a group of artists, you come up with your theme, you, you develop what type of work is appropriate for that exhibit. If you're represented by a white wall gallery downtown, you don't have that. You just take your work and drop it off and leave. So it really allows people to be more involved in how their artwork or their theater or music is performed and presented. Thank you. And uh, I love your your focus on the on the community. And you did mention before that it was um, groups were being pushed out of the community. I want to know how gentrification has had an effect on the work you do um, and the community you serve. Well, I think displacement is the biggest effect we're seeing right now. You know, rents are going way up in Columbia City, not just uh, for some of these new fancy apartment buildings, but also for the commercial space. So we've seen a lot of people losing their commercial spaces, places to live. Um, I think that's probably the biggest impact on the creative economy in Southeast Seattle is that kind of shift of real estate, which is why I'm so determined to, to work, to find a way where we can kind of get more arts organizations owning their spaces rather than leasing them. Um, so they have more control and they can build wealth rather than just paying somebody else's mortgage all the time. So we're looking at a lot of different options of how, how a program like that can be implemented over a neighborhood. Gentrification is part of the course, isn't it? Um, in this day and age, uh, Columbia City is no different. What that's made me focus on is 
pushing out to neighborhoods where my people are, where black and brown folks are, and uh, imploring them uh, to come and engage with the space. We're creating an environment at the Rainier Arts Center where all of these cultures and these communities um, can come, they can, they can break bread together, whether you're Muslim or Christian. I have, there's so many different uh, groups that, that are annual renters into the space. I hate the word renter, but they're, they're like family to me. Um, we're to the point right now where all of the community groups that are in the center, I'm probably, probably telling on myself, but they manage their time a little bit. You know, if I used to be the hub for them where they would reach out to me via email or call me at like 10 PM and be like, Hey, I need a rehearsal space. I've got an event coming up and the hall we booked, uh, is no longer available. I was like, great. Call the fool call the African group because they're in the space right now. If you can share the space with them or they can cut their time. So there's, there's a lot of collaboration with, with the, uh, the groups and the organizations that are, that are in the center. Um, I know I sort of steered away from the gentrification question, but what I'm doing to serve the community better is going out there and reaching out to the community. That's, that's there. Columbia city is a wonderful city. It's, it's a beautiful city. Um, I wish the center was closer to neighborhoods that need, need more, um, need more assistance or, or more help or need a building like that. And I'm not saying that Columbia City is, is far away from, from the valley or, or any of those things, but I feel like my job now is to reach out to those organizations in the valley, um, sort of in the Southeast district and let them know that, hey, we're here. This, this is your building. Come on, come on with it. Nice, I love that. That's great too, because like uh, something that we're seeing a lot too, and I live in Seattle, I live in the Queen Anne area, and I do a lot of different kind of fringe art with different communities and friends and family around here. But the conversation we're always having is like, the access to space is just consistently getting taken away, whether it's being shut down for you know, COVID, COVID reasons and having people who are running spaces just not have access to the space anymore. Um, and even pre 2020, having all of these concerns about how can we continue to run a space and make this space both affordable and offer it up at discounted prices for people and like reasonable prices for shows and things like that so it's just a tricky it's just a tricky balance so it's always inspiring to know that there's there's more people out here trying to figure out and communicate and get other people into creating this art together All right that's exactly right we uh there is a there's a rate that we offer to community cultural arts members that are focused in the southeast area and then if you're like the bbc who just uh finished a concert here on saturday um, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna pay the retail rate of the space. So, but if you're uh, if you're Tycarius and you and you run the Tycarius band and you and you're from the South End and you you know then okay, all right. That's so that's 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 the um, that's sort of where we're coming from is to help create it, make it more accessible, accessibility in financial accessibility, sort of where we're located. Um, that's something that's very important to Kathy and myself and Seed Arts in general. So, um, yeah. And that's great because I just moved, didn't just move, but I've been in Seattle for about a year or so. And I came from Georgia and recently moved from Atlanta, where if you're an artist and you want to book anything at a venue, they have the same price for everybody, you know, and it doesn't really matter like where you're from or who you are. If you... <laughs> Unless you're like Drake or somebody, then they're probably going to overcharge you. But everybody else, they have a base rate that's pretty expensive. Um, and I love that you're flexible and you're kind of catering to the people, not catering to yourself. It's not about making money for you. It's about providing um, a service for artists. Um, so I, thank you for that. I want to thank you. I'm sure you get, you know, you guys get so many thank yous from so many different artists. Um but I just want to thank you for providing a service to artists that they actually need and is useful to them. Tycarius, I thought you were going to say, 
I do, I do run a band. Well, I'm a rapper, so I, I do. Oh, yeah, so yeah. Ty's going to pitch his band now. He's going to oh. rap for you. Oh, my bad, Ty Carries. I'm sorry, man. I, I wish I, I had a band. I should have stopped both of you guys. My bad, my no, bad. You're totally fine. You're totally fine. Because it's it's hard, oh. you know? Like, oh. <laughs> it's terrible when you are when you need something as an artist and you have somebody who can provide that for you but their focus is on you know money that you know if you had that you wouldn't be coming to them in the first place so i i feel it <laughs> pulling on the heartstrings definitely you should uh send us a sample of your music because we're planning our summer series soon uh, and i'm slipping i'm sorry i'm on his i'm on his site right now it's pretty it's pretty fly yeah <laughs> really thank you yeah very cool. I love this. <laughs> yes. See, I know. I was I was already just also texting everybody in, in our Slack group for Mirror Stage. And I was like, y'all, they're great. And we've been trying to figure out ways that we can collaborate and be more on the south side of Seattle because we want to have storytelling as an opportunity for everyone and reach out to different communities. And we're always trying to figure out what are different ways we can bring in other community members. But the big conversation is how can you reach out to those community members? Because it's, it's easy for some people who live in say Finney Ridge to get to the Finney Ridge center, but how can we reach out and how is our audience different and how are the artists we're collaborating with different when we can go out to these other communities? I found that networking within just the organizations that are here that are utilizing the space, um, whether you're they're an anchor partner or an annual renter, um, I find that that their networks are run deep in the South End. You know, whether they're artists or other community groups, other um, other organizations. So that's kind of where where I'm able to sort of like. Maybe someone from Wasat would say, "Hey, there's this performer who who's from this who's from the south south end. Um, I'd love for you to meet them. We'll sit down, we'll have a cup of coffee, and talk about possibly you know doing a show or collaborating with another group and and putting something together." But I find that just networking with who's who with with the people that are there now is is the fastest way I've found to sort of reaching those other artists and those other performers. So, yeah. It's kind of neat how it all comes back to networking and collaboration because my first job in the arts in Zimbabwe, I worked, I mean, that was what they did. They created networks for grassroots organizations. And honestly, until I was thinking about that origin story question, I don't think I had ever connected. Like the work I do is still exactly the same, very different, but it's that same helping create those networks to share resources, to share equipment, to share connections, to share ideas. I think that's really what makes the South End unique is that there's not that sense of competition. Hey, I'm open. I'm going to do this show. So I'm going to keep it a secret from everybody because my show is going to be bomb. It's, hey, can you help me with it? Oh, I got this for you. It's, it's a really special community in that way, the way people band together. Yeah, a great example of that is... Uh, for our porch series or our porch festival last year was in the summer. Um, we booked out a, a solo performer, an instrumentalist. Was it Leif? Yeah. And he brought the other guy with him? Or he, the he other was. guy showed up? No, he was just in the audience. And, and Leif was just like, uh, hey, you got your drums on you? He came up, started drumming with him. And I was like, Leif, this, the stipend is just for you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we're just paying you, brother. And he was like, no, 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 we're good. We're good. We're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're fine. We'll split it or something. You know, something to that effect. But it just it just shows you the vibe of uh just artists are artists in the in the South End. They're they're all about they 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 just want to perform, you know, or they just want to share their art. And I think that's something that's Kathy's right, is something that's unique to up here and and it's great. Is there anything else you want our listeners to know about you or about your organization? Anywhere we can find y'all online to see what's going on next, let us know. Hey, this is Ben, and I want you to check out our website. It's rainierartscenter.org. That's Rainier, R-A-I-N-I-E-R-A-R-T-S, center.org. 
Good. And you can find Seed Arts. We have a page on Seed's website, which is seedseattle.org, S-E-E-D-S-E-A-T-T-L-E.org. I think it's slash arts to get straight to the arts page. Um, But we also keep a pretty active Facebook page. And I also post a lot of stuff on the Columbia Hillman Arts and Cultural District page. The number one best way to get involved is to sign up for our mailing list. We send a once a month e-news, the Seed Arts e-news that kind of highlights what's going on in each of our programs and also in the community every month. And when you go to sign up, there's actually two categories. Well, there's multiple. You can sign up for the Seed Arts e-news. You can also get on our artists opportunities list. And to that list, it's not every month, but when there are opportunities for artists, when there are paid gigs, when there are grants, when there are calls, we list them all there and send it directly to that list. So if you're an artist and want to get more involved, uh, please sign up for both of those lists. Perfect. Yeah, Thank you up. so much. Oh, I, I was just going to say, we will also put that in the show notes and so that they'll have it and we'll like send a direct link to it as well. Oh, but super. Ben, what else? Cool. What, Thank else you. Did, what else did we know? <laughs> Yes, thank you both so much for your time today. We learned so much, not only about Seed Arts, but um, about both of you as individuals. This was such a heartwarming conversation. You two both have great energy. And uh, I hope this isn't the last time that we'll be able to connect for sure. In fact, I'll go ahead and say this won't be the last time that we'll um, be able to connect and um, do more creative stuff together and serve the community. Yeah. Tycarius and Kiki are like, man, this would have went a lot faster if Ben's big face was in there. It would have been so much less fun, Ben. (laughs) He brings the light. He brings the fun. No, you were both I know, Ben, we're totally going to message out to you and we want to know more about your film stuff. Yeah, do an episode on that. See? Kathy knows. Kathy's ready. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you want to do some research on us, it's just real youth film camp. Org. Yes, we, we have it. We'll link that in the show notes, but we will give them more, um, hopefully be able to give them more information about it in the future. All right. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate the work you're doing. Sharing stories, telling stories. Take care of Kiki. Thank you so much. Yeah, I yes, thank you. Both so much. Thank you both. Thanks, have a good thank night. You, you yeah. too. If you're enjoying this podcast and would like to support it and other Mirror Stage programming, you can make a tax-deductible donation via our website, mirrorstage.org, or text Play It Smart to 206-888-6477. That's 206-888-MIRR. So I was wondering what she meant when she said she oversees the five programs, but it's so vast. You know, they have visual arts and performing arts and theater arts and everything is broken down into its own section. And she runs all of it. It sounds it sounds uh, like it would be overwhelming, but she talked about it like it was so like it flows well and it's such a graceful process um, that she really enjoys to take part in. Um, and I love that they can serve so many different kinds of artists under one umbrella. Yes, that's what I was thinking, too, as she was describing all the different things um, that the groups do. Because I was just like, so many times when we say arts, depending on who you are talking to, an image pops in their head. Whether that is a visual art. So they're like, oh, paintings. And she's like, we're wrapping that up with this organization we're working with. Theater, dance, music, we're doing that through this other organization that we're working with. So it's just a great overview of all the different kinds of art that is available to us and that people can be a part of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and bringing it to the community. I love that she said they they do the art installations in, um, in public, which is one thing that I've really noticed about Washington honestly in general like all the like electrical boxes on the corners a lot of them will be painted from fire hydrants and stuff like that there's nothing like that where um like in I hate I hate every episode of like oh well in Atlanta there wasn't this <laughs> but there really wasn't you know and as an artist that's stuff you notice there's so much street art here and art that's purposefully installed and in part of um the community and there's not a lot of 
places um, that I've been that I've seen stuff like that. Um, and I love that they um, they give artists that opportunity to showcase um, their work and make their work a part of their community as well. Yes, and also it it helps too in the aiding of having people see art without having to go to a specific place, whether that be an indoor location, which is concerning due to people's COVID concerns, or whether that be concerns dealing with we are in an art space, which means I have to act a certain way or I have to dress a certain way. There are sometimes these stereotypes that we put on art atmospheres. So kind of taking that barrier away and just seeing, oh, there's art in this park right here. There's art that I can see and walk by and get up and go around and check out from different angles or go with my kids and play and then come back. Just different kinds of things. It's, I just think it's a beautiful way to incorporate arts into everyday life and without having it be this whole experience that you have to do it a certain way. It has to be like this. It just lifts so many barriers. Yeah, it does kind of normalize art in a sense to where, you know, in my head, when I think of an art gallery, it has, I have been kind of programmed to imagine this classy, like, chic gallery, people dressed like the Met Gala and cocktails being passed around on a little silver plate and stuff, when it's, it's not like that every time, you know, that's really a classy example of a gallery but it can be you know you can wear jeans and a t-shirt and still go enjoy the art and it doesn't have to be just an indoor space you know it's about making art a part of everyday life so it doesn't have to um like it can still have its appeal but it doesn't have to be this oh it's only for the bourgeoisie you know it's bringing art to um every every place and every uh every person making it accessible for everybody mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and Ben, his uh, his storytelling through film with the youth, that that's an incredible program as well. That is. I'm really excited to learn more about it. Um, we are totally going to have Ben and his whole group back to chat more with us about how his program, the Real Youth Film Camps, how they are making an impact on the south side of Seattle as well. So look forward to that interview, listeners. Yes. So um, our call to action, you can check out Seed Arts and learn more about their programs that they offer. And you can sign up for their mailing list as well to learn not only about uh, what they have going on and the programs that they offer to the community, but also if you're an artist looking for those kinds of opportunities, they have a mailing list for that as well that you can sign up for. Yes. And we also had on there. Um, ben was the person who runs the Rainier Art Center. So go ahead and check out rainierartcenter.org. And as always, these will be in the show notes for you. But there you can find out what events are currently happening if you want to go and see some art there. Or you can also have a way to connect with him and see if you have an organization or a group that you want to rent out the space. You can do that there. Yes. And you can also check out um, Ben's, uh, the film camp that we mentioned earlier at realyouthfilmcamp.org. And that's real, R-E-E-L, youthfilmcamp.org. And um, they offer things like a spring break camp, summer camp, after school programs, um, all centered around um, the BIPOC uh, youth community and uh, storytelling through film. All right, and our final call to action is to make a request that you all go out and check out Dacha Theater's Dice, Romeo and Juliet. It runs April 1st through the 24th at the Sankofa Theater in South Seattle, and that's located in the southern part of the International District. A link to their website will be in the show notes, and you can go there to learn more about the project Make sure that you know where the theater is, just in case I'm pronouncing it wrong, and get your tickets. So again, it will be in the show notes, but the website is dachatheater.com. That's D-A-C-H-A-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.com. Nice. So thank you, listeners, for joining us today. As always, you can like and subscribe to our podcast to stay in touch with us and catch any future episodes.
Uh, and if you have any questions, feel free to email Kiki at KikiD at mirrorstage.org. Yes, please email me. I always, I'm waiting just for someone to be like, hey, and that can be like, hey, I like your show. Hey, you guys could do better. Hey, my favorite color is purple. Anything. I'm here for it. I will accept all these emails. Anything, guys. Please hit us up. We're waiting on it. <laughs> yeah. But as always, we'll catch you next first Monday of the month. Sweet dream, Seattle. Also stay classy. This program is supported in part by a grant from the Washington State Arts Commission and the National Endowment of the Arts. We would like to acknowledge that we are on the traditional land of the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish and Coast Salish people, past and present, and honor with gratitude the land itself and the Duwamish and Coast Salish tribes. Thank you everyone for listening. This podcast is available on Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So if you are finding us on any of those platforms, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe if possible.